You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Well, find your Bibles or on your device and turn with me to John chapter 21. John chapter 21 is where we're going to be today, and we are in our Advent series. Advent means coming or arrival, and we are in between two actual Advents. We celebrate, we remember the first Advent, the first coming of Jesus Christ, born that day in Bethlehem. But we look forward to a second coming of Jesus Christ, when He will come And He will once again reign. And so we are in between these two Advents. And during this time of Advent this last year, we have been looking at different meals that Jesus shared with people. And we called it, we want to gather around. We want to come around the table and we want to look deeply into how Jesus changed lives. Remember, we gathered around the table of the little man Zacchaeus and how he went into his home, the smallest man in Jericho, but he emerges as someone that is made great because of Christ. And then we gathered around the table with another tax collector. His name was Matthew. And we saw on an ordinary day, someone walked up to his tax booth and his life was forever changed. When Jesus looked at Matthew and he said, follow me. And when they did that, Matthew stood up and he followed. Remember, he threw this, this great dinner party. And who would come to a tax collector's house except other tax collectors and sinners? But we saw that Jesus reclined with them at that table. And when he did that, he was saying and identifying himself as one of those sinners, as one of those tax collectors. And when Jesus called Matthew, what we saw was that his old life could no longer contain his new life in Christ. Well, this morning, I want us to gather around another meal with Jesus. But this meal is very different than the other two. In fact, it's not actually going to take place in someone's home. So if you're an outdoors kind of person, you're going to love this one. Because Jesus is going to gather together, not in someone's home, and actually not for an evening meal, but he is going to host a campfire breakfast. But it's going to be fish and bread. And he is going to build a fire. He is going to prepare breakfast for a special guest. And his name is Peter. Now, if you have ever failed miserably, I would throw my hat in that category. Peter is somebody that we can all relate to. I mean, failure is a part of life. It's a part of growing up. And oftentimes, it seems in my life, it's often how I learn a lot of my lessons is by simply failing. When you think about it, failure, I'm often reminded of a story that I once read. I remember being in school and someone reading this story about this young man that years ago ran for the legislator in in a large state, and it said that he was badly defeated. It says next he tried his, his hand at business in He failed at that too, and then he spent 17 years paying off the debt that he owed because of his failed business. 
Or you then you think, oh, his life's going to turn around. He meets a young woman. He falls in love. And then she passes away. So he re-entered politics and he ran for Congress. And once again, he was defeated badly. So he tried to get an appointment with the United States Land Office. And guess what? He failed. He became a candidate for the U.S. Senate. And he was badly defeated. Two years later, he tries again. And guess what? He's defeated again. And it seemed like one failure after another and many, many setbacks. But what it says is this man never refused to give up. And in fact, he eventually became president of the United States, maybe perhaps one of the greatest, and you know him as Abraham Lincoln. Well, today we're going to look at Peter, who a lot like Abraham, failed many, many times. But, but listen, the solution to our failures... It's not just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, and try harder. The solution is not just, well, get back up on the horse and, and don't give up. Because Christianity is not a just try harder lifestyle. Christianity is not just keep trying. Christianity is this. Christianity is from Calvary forward. It's the sanctification of our failures. What I mean by that is Christianity is our failures being used to help us face our weaknesses and our inadequacies as painful and as uncomfortable as they may be so that God's strength can be made perfect in our weakness. And that is Christianity. It is not just go and try harder. It's not just do better next time. So you're there in John chapter 21 and if you'll notice what happens, that you're at the very end of this gospel. And it's a very unique chapter. In fact, some people believe that this chapter doesn't belong in our Bibles. Well, they're absolutely incorrect. It absolutely belongs. But here's why they believe that. You're there in chapter 21. Look back at the last few verses of 20. And this is what it says in verses 30 and 31. And why they say that it seems as if John actually ends his gospel. And then there's this add-on because John says this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And John gives us the purpose of why he wrote it's so that we would believe in Jesus and that he is the Christ, the Son of God. And John says, That's why I wrote it. And it seems that it comes to kind of a natural end. But then John does something. He he reaches back into a time when Jesus was with them to make sure that we understand what happens to Peter. A friend of his who experienced the most public humiliation that we know when he denied Christ publicly. And Peter wants to make, no, make sure that we know what happened to that man. He wants us to know that the failure was not the end of him. And so he gives us 25 verses that focus on a special meal that we are going to gather around. Because this is how this chapter is. It's, it's like you go to the movies. You go to the movies and, and you watch something and you get to the credits and there's two types of people. There's those that as soon as that music starts and the credits start rolling, that man, they make a beeline 
for the car. I mean, they're done. They're ready to get out. But there's another group of people. There's another group of people that sit and wait. Just in hopes that there's going to be something that comes at the end of those credits. Because that's what Hollywood's done. There's been a few of those that they've done that. You know, it might be some bloopers or, or it might be a, some, some previews to a sequel that's going to happen. Or my favorite, when it's been a, a true story or based on the life of true story, it's, you hope they're going to show some pictures of, of actual events. And so you sit waiting for something that actually comes after the story. And that's kind of what John does. He ends his gospel, but he gives us something special at the end. He gives us the purpose, but then he wants us to see that through experiences that his, his, his friend Peter, even though he utterly failed, that through this we're actually going to see today our greatest need through this meal. We're going to see our greatest need, meaning of everything in your life. Man, if you can make a list... This is what has to be at the top of our list of our greatest needs. The thing that we need more than anything is reconciliation. And reconciliation only happens when we plunge our weaknesses and our inadequacies and our failures into the grace of God. And that's what we see today. Look at me, look with me on chapter 21, verse 1. And John says to us, after this, and what John is referring to is what has happened just over the last seven days. When you think about what's happened, the disciples had experienced the triumphal entry where Jesus is coming in and people cheered and shouted, Hosanna! They experienced the betrayal of Judas. Their near arrest. The denial of Jesus by their leader, Peter. The agonizing crucifixion. Jesus' resurrection. Jesus appearing after he had been raised back to the life. And these events were fresh on their minds. And then it says, Jesus then, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way, John says in verse 2. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel, Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that'd be James and John, and the two other disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, then we're going to go with you. And they went out and they got into the boat, and, but that night they caught nothing. So after these events, seven disciples leave Jerusalem and they travel about 80 miles and they come to the Sea of Galilee. Their leader is gone. And what do they do? They decide to go fishing. Man, I imagine they're sitting out on this boat. They're sitting there. They're casting in their nets. And I believe they're, they're just talking about certain things. Man, do you remember when that happened? Man, could you believe that just the other day, man, Jesus walked through those closed doors. And, and they're just reminiscing. They're going through their mind of all the things that have happened. But imagine if you were Peter. I imagine a thing running over and over in his mind as they're sitting out on that quiet sea. Everybody's kind of talking, oh, you remember, remember when he took that bread and, and man, those fish, and man, we fed all those people. Man, you remember when he raised that, 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 uh, that man, Lazarus? You remember when that crippled man could walk and that blind man could see? And I imagine that Peter is sitting on the end, quiet as could be. 
Because what's going to be running through his mind are not those miracles. It's not those miraculous things that Jesus did. It's not those moments of teaching. What is going over and over in Peter's mind, it's just his failure. He's going to be thinking and remembering everything that happened that night before he was crucified into that morning when he did exactly what he vowed to never do. He turned his back on Jesus. But I want to give us a picture of this bow because it's quite remarkable. I want you to think about the gospel and what the gospel does and what the gospel creates because the gospel creates a a supernatural community. And that's one of the things that the gospel does because look at who is in this boat. Look, look with me at the list. Uh, one of the guys that we see is Nathaniel. Let me tell you about Nathaniel. Nathaniel is a guy that easily believes anything and perhaps maybe even superstitious. If you were to turn to John chapter 1 and verse 21, he's the one that's sitting underneath the fig tree. No one knows he's there. No one knows what he's doing. And Jesus walks up and Jesus says, oh, I saw you under that fig tree. I know what you were doing. And you know what Nathaniel does? At that moment, Nathaniel says, calls Jesus king of Israel. And all Jesus said was, I, I saw you under the fig tree. And it's almost like Jesus says, you, all, you already believe this? He says, man, you're about to see greater things than that. All, all I said was, I saw you. So Nathaniel's the guy that thinks that every next idea is the next best thing. He, he's the one, Nathaniel's the guy that, that uh, doesn't need a lot of proof. Man, you give him an exciting story, you kind of stir his emotions a little bit, and man, he is all in. And, and that's Nate, Nathaniel, that's, that's Mr. Easy Believism. He's the guy that watches... TV late at night and buys every gadget because it's going to change his life. But look who's next to him. So you got Mr. Easy Believism. It's going to, man, you tell him anything, man, he is there. And he's sitting next to Thomas. Thomas is the one that walks around with his arms crossed all the time. Thomas is the one that said, man, I don't believe this about Jesus. Not until I can see those scars those nail holes in his hands and that stick my hand in, in his side that has been cut open. Man, it isn't, it isn't until I can do that that I am going to believe. And so Thomas is the skeptic. Thomas is the skeptic in all of us. He's Mr. Just prove it to me. Well, then you've got James. He said the two sons of thunder. And Man, James was the one that all he was concerned about was who's going to have the place of honor. I mean, he was the one that needed the most likes on Instagram. He was the one that was always asking, well, that's great, but what about me and mine? What do I get out of this? And that, that's, that's James. Then we've got two unnamed disciples. We're not sure who they are, but we have the author of this gospel, John, and John is Mr. Level-Headed. John is Mr. Rationalist. John is the one who always thinks, but, I mean, he's real slow to act. I mean, he is the one that's going to analyze. He's going to take all the information, and he's going to create his spreadsheets, and, I mean, he's going to make sure everything lines up, and, I mean, he can observe, and he's watching all the details, but he's always slow to act. Now, he's fast. Man, he outran everybody to, to the tomb, but you know what he does when he gets there? I mean, he's the fastest one. He runs to the tomb, and then he just kind of peeks in. He, 
He's not going in because he's got to step back and make sure everything's okay and he, before he kind of jumps all in. He, he, he's quick to notice things, but he is so slow to act. And, and he, he carefully analyzes and surveys the problem. And then notice who's next to John. Peter could but, but not be any different than John. Peter, and he doesn't think at all. I mean, Peter is the one. He doesn't think, man, he is all action. He is the first one to act. Remember, they're fishing at one time, and then he sees Jesus walking. He just jumps out of the boat. He's the one that's standing there in the garden, and, man, he feels threatened. He pulls a sword, and he cuts the soldier's ear off. Man, he doesn't think, but he is so quick to act. He acts so often before he really thinks. And what we know is Peter's don't get along well with John's, and John's don't tolerate Peter's really well. But what we see in this boat is that Jesus brings people together into a unity where we enrich one another. You know what? Today that's called the church. But people usually come to church and we look for, we look for a place to fit in. And listen, that's a good thing. And we want to make everyone that comes into this church, that's our goal. If you are a member of this body, you are a greeter. You are to help other people feel welcomed. But the honest truth is that when we come to church, we're kind of looking from an earthly mindset a lot of times. Humanistically, we, we look for something. We want a church that has people in it that share earthly interests of the same things that we do. But what we really should be looking at and we should be focusing on is that there is something that runs far deeper and, and runs far wider. We should be and we should see the church that it is made beautiful. When it's not full of people that are just like us. But the church is made beautiful. It is made beautiful when there are people all around us that are very different. The church is made beautiful when it's full of people who share something that is eternally in common. But we can be vastly different. So in this, this boat, we have a supernatural community. These people should not be getting along. They should not like each other. And they're out fishing. But they catch nothing until Jesus shows up. Look at verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. The disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to him, children or little ones or friends, do you have any fish, he shouts. And they answer back, no. And he said to them, then cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and now... They were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. For some reason, they look out and they don't recognize Jesus. I don't know if the sun wasn't right or maybe because he was in a certain state. At times, Jesus, it seemed that he could hide his appearance. But he tells them to cast their net on the right side of the boat. And now this should strike a memory with us. Because if you were to turn to Luke chapter 5, you find where Jesus calls Peter and, and the similarities are striking. He gets in a boat with Peter and they should have been catching fish in the shallows, but Jesus sends them out to the deep and he says, cast your net, Peter. And he does and it says he catches so many fish that his nets were breaking. And that's where he says, and follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. So the similarities are very similar but remember, John is our, 
John is our observant one. Notice what John recognizes. I believe John doesn't maybe recognize who he is, but his mind goes back to that experience. And in verse 7, he says, That disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, remembered, this is therefore, and said to Peter, It is the Lord. John realizes that the man standing on the shore, shouting them to tell them to cast their nets, that it is Jesus. And so John is a quick student. But remember, he's, he's kind of slow to act. Remember, he, he kind of thinks things through. But notice what Peter does. In verse 7, it says, When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. And he's standing and he hears this is Jesus. I mean, he can't even contain himself. And he puts on his outer garment. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're about to swim about 100 yards into shore probably, the last thing I'm going to do is put on clothes. And he's probably stripped down to his loincloth, but he puts on his outer garment. Now, why would he do this? And really the reason we don't know. I don't know why Peter puts on his garment before he swims out. But my mind studying this week went back to something. It went back to the book of Genesis. And I was thinking about Adam and Eve. And when they sinned and they, when they rebelled, it said that they clothed themselves because of their shame. Peter's in the boat. They're talking. They're reminiscing. And all these things are fresh on their mind. But the thing that would have been at the top of Peter's mind was his failure. And I, I don't know if this is Peter, you know, covering up his shame, but that was kind of the picture I saw. I thought of Adam and Eve. They covered themselves. They recognized their nakedness. They were shameful, and they covered themselves. And maybe Peter covers himself. But you remember what Adam and Eve did when God came walking through the garden, and they were caught in their failure. They were caught in the rebellion. They went and hid from God. But notice what Peter does. He Covers himself. Maybe he's covering him shame. I don't know. But he jumps in. And with all of his might. He swims as hard as he can. Straight to Jesus. I don't know about you. But every time I've disciplined my children. Man it's hard. that There's that break in the relationship it seems like. And there's this, this tension that's there. There's this vastness. And a lot of times men. The, the thing that we desire most. Is that when we discipline them. They wouldn't run from us. But that they would run to us. And we see Peter. Putting on his outer garment. He jumps in the sea. And he heads straight for that man. Standing on the shore. So I would say this. In our failures. In our weaknesses. In our inadequacies. That we are not to run and hide from God. That we are to jump into the water like Peter. And we are to swim with all of our might right into the face of Jesus. And this is what happens when we plunge our weaknesses and our inadequacies and our failures into the grace of God. And Peter reaches shore. Notice the setting in verse 9. And when they got to land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Jesus is sitting by a fire, and he's cooking bread, and he's cooking fish. And the image here of this fire, this charcoal fire, you know, it's only used twice in the entire New Testament. The first time we see it here with Jesus on the shore of Galilee, making this 
breakfast of fish and bread. Do you know the other time we see this fire listed? It's when Peter is standing around it, warming himself when he denies Christ. And so Peter is once again before a fire. I believe he probably still had the smell of the fire of his betrayal still on him. And he jumps into the sea. When, when he reaches the shore, there's Jesus sitting again, once again, around a fire. And look at what happens in verse 15. Skip ahead a few verses. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon... Son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, do you love me more than these other disciples? Because that's what he claimed. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved or he was hurt or he was cut because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So Jesus is taking Peter before a fire, much like the fire that Peter had recently stood around and made himself warm. And three times, Jesus asked Peter a very important question. He said, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, you know I do. You know what happens at that moment? Denial, number one, is plunged into God's grace. And he asked Peter a second time, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And at that moment, boom, Denial number two is taken and plunged into God's grace. But we still have a third denial. And a third time, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And it says this time that Peter is cut, he is grieved, and he is hurt. And we might be thinking, why is Jesus doing this to him? Why is Jesus taking this knife and twisting it into this fresh wound? And I would say, yes, Jesus is twisting that knife into that fresh wound of Peter, but he is doing it as a surgeon who is healing Peter. And Peter responds, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And at that moment, denial number three is plunged into God's grace. But notice, notice at the end of each painful question that Jesus makes him recognize and remember his failure and he brings him to this point of affirmation once again and notice what he says at each and every time of those he gives him a command he says and feed my sheep tend my sheep feed my sheep and you know what Jesus is doing at that moment he is reinstating a man who had failed utterly He had failed miserably, and Jesus is reinstating Peter as a leader and as a pastor and a shepherd. Jesus is saying to Peter, plunge your failure into my grace, and I will make you greater than you could ever imagine. And notice now this reconciliation that happens as Jesus gives Peter a, a glimpse into his future. Notice verse 18 and 19. 
It says, truly, truly, or, or listen carefully, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted to. And when you were old, you would stretch out your hands, but another will dress you and carry you where you will go because you will not want to go. This, he said, is to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to Peter again, follow me. Jesus is saying to Peter, you know what? Your life was once your own. And you used to do everything that you desired, what you wanted. And he said, and when your plans are your own and in your own power, you know what he says? It will be nothing but failure and misery. But Jesus says, now when you're old, you will stretch out your hands. Jesus is showing Peter that his old life of guilt and shame and failure has been dealt with. Jesus is showing Peter that he will once again stretch out his hands. And he says, you know what? You're going to lay down your life for others just as I did. So Jesus opens up his arms and his hands on the cross so that Peter could be reconciled to God because it was his greatest need. And it's the same that Jesus does for you and me because our greatest need is reconciliation and is only made possible by Jesus letting go of all that he had in heaven and becoming one of us. And it took him opening up his hands and giving us his life. And then Jesus, you know, he tells Peter, he says, follow me even to the point of laying down your life. I mean, that's exactly what Peter does. Peter gave the rest of his life to bring the gospel to lost people. So through this story, there's a few things I want us to take away with. One, we see men were fishing and they caught nothing until Jesus shows up on that shore. It reminds us that Jesus is saying that without me, you can do nothing. Jesus makes a fire and he prepares fish and he makes this bread and He's showing us that the risen Lord is still now providing for our daily needs. Through Peter, we see that no matter how great a person may be or even claims to be, that no one is beyond failing. No one is beyond reading to that place that they fall. But by God's grace and forgiveness, the repentant can be restored. And we see that in Peter. Jesus forced Peter to learn the hard lesson of a changed life. And everyone who follows Jesus, like Peter, must learn what real believing and loving Jesus means. And then around this fire, Peter had denied Jesus three times earlier. But around another fire, he is fully restored. So it is through our failures that we come to experience grace. You know what's remarkable is by the time John wrote this, by the time John wrote his gospel, Peter had already suffered martyrdom. He had already been murdered because of his belief in Jesus. The church historians, the church history tells us that Peter was going to be crucified. But he felt so unworthy to be crucified in the manner that his Jesus was. He says that he requested to be crucified upside down. 
Because he says, I'm not worthy to be hung on a cross like Jesus. So it's through this meal that we see reconciliation and restoration happen in the life of Peter. And this happens when we plunge our weaknesses and our inadequacies and our failures into God's grace. So let me encourage us all today that when we fail, when we're weak, when we come face to face with our inadequacies to run. To run to the one that was born that day in Bethlehem that our children were reading and singing about. Run to the one that God sent. Be like Peter. Jump into that water and swim with all that you can to him. Do not hide from him because it is only through him that we can find reconciliation and restoration. Let's pray. Father, this morning we do thank you for the gift of reconciliation. We're thankful that you don't leave us in our failures, in our inadequacies, in our our misery, in all that we do to fail. We thank you that you don't just leave us there. Thank you for being one that in our shame, when our pride is hurt, when we know we have failed, that we can run to you. We can swim to you. And that you are there always ready to welcome us. That you are there ready to provide for all the needs that we have. So Father, when we come face to face with all of our failures, may we plunge them into your grace so that we can experience reconciliation that only happens because your son opened up his hands and gave his life for us. It is in his name in those nail-scarred hands that we pray. And by the power of your spirit, amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.